right, welcome to the Buffalo Bread Podcast. We're doing our wrap-up of Week 16, Bills at Bears in the Windy Shitty Spectacular. Um, it was a massive win by the Buffalo Bills, uh, you know, coming out and, and beating the Bears, the lowly 3-12 and Bears, 35-13, to a 22-point victory in which, um, you know, you and I both have a lot to talk about, Dan, in terms of the team, and then we're going to expand out into where we go from here for the season. Uh, and we'll do two pods this week since we're both kind of off on, on vacation uh, and have the time to do so. And so we'll do a preview later in the week for the Cincinnati game, which is bound to be a massive, massive matchup. So, Dan, how are you feeling? I feel good. I feel good. And we're going to talk in this pod about the things in the Bears game that I think rightfully should make Bills fans feel good. Another tough, gritty win on the road, and it feels like the Bills have had a lot of those in the second half of the season after their bye. Um, The Bears came out, and they were plucky. They played with a lot of energy, and I was really impressed with the Bills' defensive philosophy, particularly the way they used the defensive line in this game. I think it showed a little uh, adaptability which we, you and I had been questioning in the pregame pod whether or not this coaching staff would allow that to happen. But I think they really chose, as opposed to gap aggressiveness, gap discipline to keep fields contained. They did a great job getting pressure up the interior, which, as we have stated on this pod on many occasions, is a the, the way to disrupt young QBs in this league is pressure right up the middle. Uh, and the defense did a lot, even as the offense struggled to start the game in the first half. Uh, to really keep the Bears uh, the Bears' efficacy at a minimum. So I was really impressed with the all-around team effort and what were substandard conditions. I mean, it wasn't just that it was cold and negative 7 feeling on the, on the uh, field. It was the fact that it was windy, which was a factor that the Bills didn't have to deal with in that wild card game that was equally cold against the Patriots last year, uh, but didn't have any wind factor to take into account. The wind plus the cold really changed the offensive game plan here for the Bills in this game. And again, after a few series, Dorsey did a great job adapting. But while the offense was figuring it out, the defense really held their own. And they were allowed the Bills to bring home what was a, a much-needed victory for what could have been an easy trap game. So I'm excited to dig into this, JJ. And then uh, I'm excited to talk a little bit further down the road about what the playoff prospects for the Bills are going to look like now that they have locked up the AFC East officially and they are still on track for the one seed. So, JJ, where do you want to start with this game? So I think you started, you know, talking about the defense a little bit and their their gap discipline and that sort of thing. Let's let's start defense, Bills defense versus the Chicago Bears offense. We talked a lot in the preview about containing Justin Fields. I think everybody was expecting there to be at least a couple of massive runs where he kind of broke contain and, and got around the edge and made, you know, 20, 30, 40 yards or something like that. Everyone was expecting that because he, at the point that the game started, had a 1,000 yards as a rusher already from the quarterback position. Um, but they bottled him up, it, like, incredibly. Like, no team has been able to do. They Not even the, you know, the the celebrated Philadelphia Eagles were able to stop him from, from moving the ball with his feet. Um, he had seven carries for 11 yards, a 1.6 average. Um, it was abysmal for him to run the ball. And I think that what we saw was the defense, a, a couple of things. One, this defense with Leslie Frazier and Sean McDermott um, and the talent they have on the field has proven that if your only avenue for success as an offense is running the football or running with a quarterback um, with the ball in his hands, 
they have a plan for that. They used it against Lamar Jackson and for you know shut down the middle of the field, made him throw outside the numbers, and shut down his rushing you know acumen in multiple games. Playoffs two years ago. Anytime they've met them since then, they've been able to contain him. And I think that this defense is incredibly well coached. You know, props to Eric Washington on the defensive line for coaching his his uh, defenders to be, like you said, gap disciplined and to use kind of a compression rush. So they in, they hold their edge, they squeeze the pocket closed on fields instead of kind of everybody shooting up field and then leaving him seams. And so I thought that the defense did an excellent job on that. Um, and I don't have the snap snap counts exactly, but I did rewatch the game all 22, and you'll be happy to know that, uh, and you probably saw it on the broadcast as well, A.J. Klein was in almost every first down for most of the game, and usually on second down too, depending on down and distance, uh, and on short yardage. So they, they actually flipped. They did a 4-3 base defense, uh, and then at other times that they didn't have A.J. Klein where they were anticipating a little bit more of a passing threat, they were using uh, Saran Neal as a heavy nickel on a handful of snaps as well, replacing Taron Johnson to make sure that the running game couldn't get going. And Saran Neal, who you know I, I think we both talked about, has some flaws and probably will never be an every snap starter on defense, uh, was able to produce in those limited roles, uh, you know, when when he was called upon. Yeah, I. Uh... I'm just so happy this coaching staff listens to the pod as part of their <laughs> pregame routine. Yeah. Um, I think more NFL teams, quite frankly, should listen to really? us. Yeah, no, <laughs> but, we, we know a lot. <laughs> I know. It's ironic because I keep joking that we have 32 listeners active, according to Spotify, for this <sighs> this podcast. Uh, there happen to be 32 that's NFL an teams. Yeah, I, an owner for that's right. I, yeah. That's right. Team. Jerry, if you're hearing this, yeah. don't sign Odell. Right. Let him come to Buffalo. I know, right? Um, but no, I was I was really impressed with the defensive scheming in this game. Um, and it wasn't just the fact that they they flipped in a way that we thought they needed to. It was a for the Miami game. I think you and I both agreed that the defensive scheme for that game was just stubbornness, just flat out stubbornness. And after watching Green Bay beat Miami this week, um, after their zone was eaten alive in the first half switching to a lot more press press coverage even as they were sticking to their zone making sure that guys in the flat were were pressuring miami's wide receivers like showed an ability to adapt that the bills through two games against the dolphins refused to show so it was great to see here in this bears game where the strengths of this offense were so apparent and their ability to run the ball power on short yardage their ability to unleash a really athletic really fast uh qb who's aligned for the the um planned qb run game and justin fields to see them bottle that up and shut that down and consistently execute across that front seven um with the game plan was was really heartening to see um they're gonna have to apply a, i think a different game plan against cincinnati on monday but the fact that they were able to adapt and execute, which was the most important part, even though it was against a, a team with substandard personnel, that is the type of game the Bills needed to win by multiple scores. And because of the defensive shift in alignment and philosophy, they were able to. So I, I saw a lot of good things from that defense. Uh, JJ, I, I'm, curious, I'm curious to your thoughts on this. For as good as the defense was in that particular game, there were a couple of lapses in the coverage with the secondary, right? So the defensive line in the front seven played really well. 
the Bills gave up one explosive play, that 51-yard pass that Fields uncorked in the uh, the early stages of the second half. But there were other areas of the passing game where Fields was able to dial in, show a good amount of accuracy. Um, and it looked like the Buffalo Bills secondary was a couple of steps behind early on in that game. What was your read after watching the All-22 on what you saw from the Bills secondary? Um, there were con- some concerning things um, in terms of DeMar Hamlin and Jordan Poyer's communication. Uh, on that touchdown pass, that was a completely blown coverage between, I think it that might have been Dane Jackson and Jordan Poyer. Neither of them picked up the um, the wide receiver as he kind of drifted into the corner of the end zone. And so that early touchdown, that, that was a completely blown coverage. And then the other thing that I found that was really, really upsetting and will probably rear its head uh, in the Cincinnati game because Joe Burrow is a little bit, you know, more lethal as a passer than Justin Fields was that there's a few times where DeMar Hamlin was so horrifically out of position that his assignment was behind him when he clearly had like a deep half or deep third assignment. And if Justin Fields was able to recognize and identify that Hamlin was out of position, those were TDs. I saw two or three plays where the player that um, Justin Fields could have targeted um, if it weren't for quick pressure or, you know, him having to roll out because of a blitz or something like that. It, it would have been super, it would have been bad. If he had more time to find those targets, it, it would have been really bad. And I know that that's true about most defenses. I mean, some defensive coordinators look at Steve Spagnuolo and, and KC, that he built his, his system on that. Is I'm not going to be able to cover, so I'm going to just make sure the quarterback is too flustered to do anything with it. Um, that was a that was a problem. Uh, I think that what you're seeing again is Trey White. I know that we talked about um, on the preview pod that he got away with a lot in the previous game against the Dolphins. Uh, he got flagged a little bit more in this one, and he also um, was getting beat. I mean, that's the thing is right now at his recovery, Trey is is in a position where he has to be a little grabby in coverage and slingshot himself around in order to keep with people because his recovery speed's not back to where it was. Um, and so that worried me a little bit. So that's kind of what I saw on defenses in, in coverage was communication breakdowns between Poyer, Hyde, Milano, and Edmonds. I saw um, Dane Jackson getting roasted, which is not new. Uh, and I saw Kyrie Elam also be a little bit out of position. And actually watching the All-22 made me a little bit more understanding of why Kyrie Elam had a brief hiatus of inactivity and, and bench, you know, bench play because um, he at, at some times looked like he was kind of lost in coverage, especially in zone. He didn't know, you know, it, when he needed to stick to a man, that was fine. But if he was in zone, he, he kind of got too close to another zone or wasn't squeezing in the right direction, wasn't using the sideline to his advantage. And so that's kind of what I saw is, but there are some questions with the secondary. There are some some flaws that a better offense can take advantage of for sure. No, JJ, I think your what you saw on the film is also accurate to what I saw on the broadcast, and also going through some of the stats on the efficacy of this the secondary. This is the first time since 2018 where there are more than three Buffalo Bills DBs are allowing a passer rating at or above the average rate um of 100 and hang on <coughs> yeah we'll go back i gotta to... go get more water yeah no take care yeah of i gotta go get more All water right. hang on yeah. no you're good
We're going to try this again. Yeah, no problem. Dear Lord. All right. Going back to about 12. I'm, yeah. Yep. I'm also trying to awkwardly sit like more in front of the <laughs> mic to block out as much of the sound coming from the dining room as I can. So, all right. All right. <clears throat> JJ, I think your your film observations are spot on, and I've seen I saw a lot of the same in my my view of the broadcast, and then also a review of the stats from this game. So yeah, the Bill secondary is in an interesting position in that this is the first time since 2018 that they have had three DBs that are allowing a average or above average passer ratings to opposing QBs. We've already talked about the struggles of Taron Johnson this season; he's one. Dane Jackson is number two, and Trey White in his limited return is number three. And it's been interesting to see the amount of action that teams have floated Trey's way. And Trey was targeted quite a bit in this game as well by, you know, a, a fairly inexperienced QB and really a, a not a dynamic uh, wide receiver um, core. But teams, regardless of what talent level they're at, have had absolutely no issues going after Trey White um, consistently throughout many stages of the game. Now, he's already has five passes deflected. No INTs, but five passes deflected this season. Um, and that puts him right in the middle of Bill's DBs in a limited amount of reps. But I think that tells you exactly how much business he's getting sent in his direction. His teams are no longer avoiding his side of the field. In fact, in a lot of cases, they're looking to target him. Add to that that the rest of this Bills secondary isn't producing turnovers at nearly the level it did earlier in the season. They had a pick this game, and it made me wonder what, when in fact was their last pick. And their last pick goes all the way back to the Miami game, or not the Miami game, the Minnesota game, where they picked off Kirk Cousins twice. And then the um, two games before that, the Green Bay game, the first first uh, game back from the bye, they had one pick in that game. So they've got 14 total picks this season as a unit, but 10 came pre-bye. So 10 came in the first six games of the season. And then since then, in the last nine, they've only had four. So it's very interesting to see the decline in production of the secondary as they have gotten healthier throughout the course of the season. And I think Chicago, you're absolutely right, did a lot to expose what some of the deficiencies in the secondary have been, um, despite the fact that the Bills turned over Justin Fields on one of his throws. Um, I think there is there is something to teams that are going to be facing the Bills can take forward and a lot of the lack of efficacy of some of the zone coverage that they end up playing. Yeah, and and I, I know that that's, you know, that's something that we're going to have to, like, kind of deal with is how much, you know, how much can the Bills do with a, a less than elite secondary? Because they haven't had that in a long time. I think it's interesting that at this point there's some of Bills Mafia who are, who are like, oh, man, uh, Levi Wallace, you know, he wasn't so bad after all. He, he might have been. He's the, might have been the one that got <laughs> I don't over. know about that. Yeah. No, he, I mean, I will say, I think that Levi Wallace was more consistent in coverage than anyone that we've lined up this year. I would agree. Yeah, right. I would agree with that. Yeah. He, I mean, he, I would actually, he yeah. gets burned because he's physically not, he's not elite enough physically to be the number one wide receiver in most teams, but he is consistent. He was always close to the play. He was, you know, he was good at deflecting passes. 
Um, not a great at attaining interceptions, but I would say that that's the reason he stuck around for all four of his contract years um, as a low or undrafted. I don't remember. I think he was undrafted as an undrafted I think, player. I think, I think, yeah. yeah, I think Levi was undrafted. Yeah. So as an undrafted player, he he stuck around for four years because he was consistently decent in coverage, and his stats for four years with the Bills bared that out. That you know his passer rating when targeted was not as high as any of the the current coverage players, including Trey White this year. And I know he's coming back from the injury, so you know I, I also kind of pivoting with the secondary. A couple of things I noticed was um, Trey was also used as a blitzer more than two times. On CB blitzes, saw, and it, yeah, he was effective yeah. because he was rushing the throws. He wasn't getting sacks, of course, but he was rushing the throws um, in a way that you know looked effective. And I wonder if that's a you know a nod to the fact that he is working his way back in coverage. And they're saying this is the way you can do your one eleventh against a, a lesser skilled you know wide receiver core is get in there and, and try to disrupt the pass that way. And so I thought that was interesting. Um, and then just two notes about the, you know, on, on defensive side in this Bears game about the, the Bills. Uh, one is that the Bears' most effective run snaps, which I know there weren't a lot. The defense was really locked down all all game long after the first drive that the Bears scored a touchdown on. Um, but the entire game, their most effective snaps when they did run the ball were directly at A.J. Epineza almost every time. He is not a great edge defender um, against the run has a little bit more juice as a pass rusher. And then two is uh, the other observation about the defense is that Shaq, Shaq Lawson, especially if they can get him back on like a little bit richer than a vet minimum deal, he's playing on a one-year vet minimum deal right now, I think they should throw a couple million per year at him and get him on a two-year contract because he has shown and proved that this is the defense for him, uh, and he's quietly put together a very, very good season. He's probably... I mean, Rousseau has a few more splash plays, but Shaq Lawson is probably their best overall uh, DE right now. He does he does on the end what Oliver does in the middle, and both of them do things that don't always show up on the stat sheet. We've said it a thousand times about Oliver, and I think that's fair to say about Lawson as well. I agree with you. He's a he's a great depth addition. He can plug and play and limited reps as a starter when needed, as we have seen so far this season. Now, I think Shaq Lawson has been a, a great value value add by Brandon Bean. And I think overall, for the issues that are in the secondary, which we're going to talk about a little bit later in the pod, um, this defensive line and this front seven is one of the one of the best in the league and is going to be potentially the best in the AFC man for man pound for pound and that's going to give the Bills a tremendous advantage heading into the postseason and they just showcased it again here in the Chicago game for sure JJ the defense for as well as it played um its counterpart in the offense struggled and I think a lot of it due to the weather um any final thoughts on the defense before we switch gears here and talk about this Bills offense and their effort here in the win um, no, I don't, you know, I think that, um, a, as you mentioned, the weather, I think that the defense definitely benefited a little bit. Um, Justin Fields had one very nice long ball, uh, but I think that, you know, on the rewatch, you didn't see it on the broadcast as much, but with all 22 angles from the end zones, um, the flags on top of the goalposts and the actual goalposts, goalposts themselves were whipping around in the wind. So it was very clear that, you know, though it might not have shown up 
um, as much on, on the broadcast that the, the wind was a massive factor. And I think we saw that too with Tyler Bass having some kicking, you know, snafus, which he normally doesn't have. Um, so, yeah, I think that yeah. that's, that's something to say about the defense is that the defense for the Bills was definitely aided a little bit by that wind, I think. Yeah, I think so for sure. Um, but again, just showcase their ability to adapt and adapt and really ground the ground game for the Bears as well. I think both of these teams were looking to run the ball as consistently as they possibly could have in these conditions. And only one of those teams was able to get that going, and that was your Buffalo Bills. That's right. We had um, our Buffalo Bills. Um, we had two 100-yard rusher in Devin Singletary, a 99-yard rusher in James Cook in this game. And both of those guys, when you factor in lines from the yard of scrimmage, both had days of production that took them over the century mark. Um, both had a couple of scores as well. Um, it, JJ, it's the, the tale of two running backs because the, the styles of these two guys is very different. The skill set they bring to the table, I think, is very different. It may look the same if you're only looking at the stat sheet and looking at the highlights, but these are two very different backs that bring a, a different variety of benefits to this Buffalo Bills team. Um, what were some of the things that you saw on the ground from Singletary and Cook that you were impressed by in this game? Well, I, I think one in particular kind of, you know, with a run play, and I'll talk about Singer, Singletary and Cook in a moment, um, but I think from a, uh, you, you're not going to have any run production at, at all without blocking. And I have some notes about the offensive line uh, on the rewatch on All-22 um, is that, uh they had their best production when they would actually pull one of their um, better offensive linemen from one half of the line and bring them to the other half to, to combo with a couple of other guys. So the play I'm thinking of that that kind of prep, that showed this was in the second half. They actually had Spencer Brown pull to the left across the formation, and they had Deion Dawkins and Roger Saffold double at the point of attack, and then Spencer Brown come through the hole in front of Reggie Gilliam and the running back. And I think at that time it was Devin Singletary and it was too much. And I know this Browns defensive line is probably the worst one that the bills will play or, or have played um, this season, but it was too much for the for the bears to even manage at all. And so most of their production, the fact that everybody was averaging over six yards per carry, Devin Singletary had 8.8 yards per carry. James Cook had nine Josh Allen at 6.8, Isaiah McKenzie had one rush for six yards. Like, it was the fact that they were using the pull concepts, power, uh, gap running, uh, outside zone. Again, it was it was complementary and it was multiple. And I think that it was a good tune-up game for the offensive line, especially with some mixed parts um, with Van Roten and Bates in and Morse out uh, to get some reps together in doing all the different concepts against an inferior opponent, you know, to be honest, in the trenches. And so the things I saw was that Devin Singletary, the blocking design was really good at times, and he actually was bouncing some runs outside of where they were designed to go, and it was working. I mean, it was effective, uh, but essentially they'd set up a blocking, you know, blocking lane for him, and then he would just run around the outside edge just because somebody was engaged and, and not, you know, able to peel off their block and, and get to him. Um, and it worked, but I think some of those, if he would have followed his blockers, could have popped for even longer. Like his long touchdown was one where he really picked the right lane and had blockers the whole way. Contrary to James Cook, 
James Cook running style is such that he doesn't need blockers the whole way. Um, somebody on the cover one, cover one post game, uh, and I forget the, the dude's name is their producer, Joe or something. Um, but he had tweeted during the, during the game and then mentioned it on their podcast that, uh, James Cook's, uh, his, uh, juke is so subtle that only dogs can see it, which is just brilliant. Like, it's just hilarious. That's awesome. Yeah. That's hilarious. So, um, and I think that's accurate. He's got just such a smooth style and he twitches just a little bit, and guys cannot get an angle on him, which I think is, uh, we've talked about a little bit. James Cook's running style is he just beats all the angles because he's so explosive. Um, and so that was it was, you know, I think Devin Singletary's style with James Cook's speed would be the best running back um, that the Bills could possibly have. But at present, they have two solid good starters, and I really like both of them. I actually don't think that it's going to be awful if Devin Singletary gets paid and leaves the Bills with the reps that we're seeing James Cook get, you know, running between the tackles, doing some of that outside outside zone stuff, and getting targeted in the passing game. He's really kind of coming together and putting things together. Um, and just one note about James Cook that I think is absolutely critical. When Kyler Gordon uh, picked that ball in the end zone that Josh Allen tried to force to Isaiah McKenzie into double coverage, um, the CB actually pulled off of underneath coverage and, and drifted back to, to pick that ball, which is like an excellent play by him and, and great heads-up awareness. James Cook is one of the first Bills in the area on the return. It's like a 40-yard return. Um, he's one of the first uh, in the area, gets blocked to the ground, um, gets up, and is able to chase down and catch the Bears defender before he kind of, because he kind of crosses the field. If James Cook doesn't chase him down from behind. There are three players in the area. Gabe Davis, Deion Dawkins, Josh Allen. Davis is a bad angle. Dawkins is slow. Josh Allen has a bad angle. If James Cook doesn't get him and he gets the edge, that's a touchdown. That's a pick six, 100-yard touchdown. And I just, like, I don't know. At that moment in time, if James Cook has a long and illustrious career with the Buffalo Bills, I will remember that play in his rookie year as the the play that told me he has the heart to be a good contributor on this team. Love it. Absolutely love that. There's a lot of reasons why I think Bills Mafia should be excited about James Cook. And it's not just the stat line. It's not just the the toolsiness that he brings to both the the pass game and the rush game it's stuff like that it's the stuff that again doesn't show up in the stat sheet but shows you that this dude is a rook is willing to go the extra mile give it his all on the field whenever he has the ability to and i'm not saying motor doesn't do that motor is thrown his body in front of guys three times his size to defend josh allen against unchecked unchecked pass rushers but the fact that Cook is willing to contribute in that way shows me that that dude is a Buffalo Bill, 100%. 100%. Oh, yeah. I love everything I'm seeing in the game and on film and in the stat sheet about James Cook. Um, <clears throat> it will be very interesting to see as the Bills, because you mentioned the Bears being a substandard unit. It'll be very interesting to see the Buffalo Bills, who they choose to go with in the postseason when they're playing better defensive rush defense rush defending units because and we'll we'll talk about this a little bit later on but singletary has been very good and this bills o-line has been very good against teams that are very bad against the rush 
when they're going up against a unit that is average or slightly above average, things get shut down very, very easily for Singletary and this offensive line. It'll be interesting to see because of the versatility that Cook brings to the table in the pass game, if we see any pivots in games where the rush game is struggling to get going in the postseason, if Dorsey and McDermott end up going to Cook just a little bit more. It it feels like, and this game feels like it too, it feels like this game what it is bringing us one step closer to Cook supplanting Singletary. And it's not like Singletary's done anything to lose the job. Like you said, he had a perfectly fine game this game. It was his best game of the season. But Cook just seems to bring another element that Singletary doesn't. You mentioned Singletary's decision-making, and what I thought was really interesting was Singletary can take a, can take what what is a four-yard lane and turn it into a six-yard rush. Cook can take that same lane and turn that into a nine- or ten-yard rush because of his smoothness, his quick adjustments, and again, his raw athleticism and speed. And... Motor's done a great job of his building his game in a variety of different ways to meet the needs of this offense. But at the end of the day, you can't teach talent. And Cook just seems to be the more talented back and seems to be able to get the most or more than Singletary can get out of the same production of this offensive line. At some point, you've got to let Cook be that force multiplier, knowing that this offensive line is going to be very, very limited against better rush defending units in the postseason. So I loved what I saw from both of these guys, but I continue to be on the James Cook should be replacing Devin Singletary bandwagon. I I just do. Um, But that being said, Singletary had a great game, and it was a game that they needed from Singletary and a game that they needed from Cook as well because the Bills didn't have their fastball this game. Um, The weather really limited this passing offense, and the Bills, again, turned it over, J.J., at a pretty high clip this game. They turned it over three times this game against uh, to the Bears' one single so- solitary turnover. Um, and again, because they were the superior team, the superior roster, the Bills were able to overcome that turnover di- differential. But, J.J., it's hard to judge Allen because we have, A, such a long sample size of him, uh, and, B, we know the weather was bad this game. So it's really tough to judge Allen on this game because of the weather situation. Um, But I want to talk about Stefan Diggs a little bit because I, and I'd be curious to see what you saw in film with this Diggs, It feels like in the last few games has been really limited. He hasn't gotten his, his normal target share, but what's more is that teams seem to be sticking with him at a much higher clip than they were earlier in the season. So his average yards of separation early in the season was Tyree Kill-esque. He was getting about three and a half yards of separation on all of his targets. That number has shrunk consistently over the course of the season to now below the league average. League average is right around three yards. And he's sitting just under the league average of average separation on targets at about 2.9 yards on pass attempts that are coming his way. Diggs was, again, a non-factor in this game, and we can blame the weather for, I think, a lot of that. But it is also yet another chapter in what we have seen with this, I hate to say regression, but the slump that Diggs seems to be in from a pass-catching standpoint. And this is something that we saw at the end of last season as well, where teams were just able to lock in on him and really take him away in the pass game. JJ, what what did you see in the Chicago game? 
that could potentially be a blueprint for other teams or maybe build on the blueprint that other teams have already figured out to take digs out of the past game as a weapon. Well, what I think the teams are doing is they're just they're basically just shading coverage to dig side. And so he'll have a, a cornerback or a zone defender who's assigned it to whatever route he's running as, as is any any defensive scheme you know in, in the NFL. Um, you don't leave wide receivers alone. And so he'll have that one defender there, but then they're always sending some help. And that, that's what the Bears did. That's what multiple teams have done, especially since the, the bye. Um, teams spent the first six weeks trying to defend Stefan Diggs and Gabriel Davis with equal amounts of attention. What they've done since the bye is that they've started trending more towards extra attention for Stefan Diggs, less attention for Gabe Davis. And nobody's afraid of McKenzie in the slot. And so I think that the problem is, as we've talked about many times, the Bills having you know, uh, a single dimension to their passing game, which is the Josh Allen to Stephon Diggs connection, is starting to hurt them in the way the teams are defending them. And the Bills aren't reliably working those other players in. You know, They had the slump. They had turnovers. Um, this offense hasn't really put together a complete game uh, effectively unless it's been to Dawson Knox in a, in a while now, right? Like it, it, when it comes to featuring Stefan Diggs and it's because they haven't yet figured out how to unlock Stefan Diggs from that extra coverage. And I think that you're seeing something else, which is, you know, to your point about the average separation on his, on his routes run, um, Stefan Diggs knows that he's getting the extra attention. He knows that after two seconds, two and a half seconds, Josh Allen is usually under pressure because again, this offensive line has not been great in pass protection. Um, and so he, knowing he has extra attention, knowing Josh Allen is going to look to him, see extra attention, then look him off, is not fighting his roots as much as he was in the first half of the season. I mean, he, I saw him stopping quite often. And that's not a saying that Stephon Diggs is not giving effort or that he's a, he's a lazy player or anything like that at all. It's that he knows what's happening in the play, has the awareness, and is essentially saving energy for the next down unless he's in prime position to be a scramble drill receiver for, for uh, Allen. When he is on the same side of the field that Allen's on, he tends to work his way back towards the quarterback, do the things he's supposed to do. But really, if he's the first option in the passing game and he, see, and he turns or breaks and sees the ball's not coming or sees that Josh Allen is looking elsewhere or scrambling, sometimes he just stands there and waits for something to happen. And that's not the Stefan Diggs that you, you saw in the first half of the season because I think he's frustrated by the fact that teams are scheming against him and it's taking money out of his pocket. Um, he's still the first and only Bills receiver in the history of the franchise to have three consecutive seasons of 100 catches. Um, he's still going to play a part always, I think, in the, the game plan. Um, but I don't think that there's a way that they can make a Stefan Diggs game plan unless you get somebody, anybody, and that might actually be Dawson Knox, to you know, take a little bit of the extra attention away. What about where Diggs is lining up on the field? Because I've noticed a massive change in that as the season has progressed. When you look at his route trees from early in the season, that they were lining this dude up everywhere. They were basically using Diggs like Minnesota uses Justin Jefferson or how LA would use Cooper Cup prior to his injury where they just use him in the slot, they'd use him at the outside wide receiver, they'd line him up, he'd run pre-snap motion, 
Um, it, Dorsey was doing so many things with the positioning of Diggs and the start of his routes to get, find a way to get this guy open early in the season. And that has kind of gone away. And I don't know where the fault for that lies. But as you look at the percentage of snaps where where Diggs is lining up, it's almost exclusively now on the boundaries. He's no longer lining up as effectively or as much in the slot. Um, they're not using him at all in pre-snap motion like they were before. It's almost like they're just running him out there as kind of like a decoy on a lot of these plays. It, JJ, what do you make of the, I'm going to say lack of creativity, and that's going to sound like a, a shot at, at Dorsey, and I don't know that I mean it to be, but what do you make of the reduction in the creative ways that Diggs is being lined up in a lot of these sets, going from the very versatile, very multiple, to the very predictable and the very traditional lining up on the boundaries. Well, um, I don't, I, I don't know, right? Like, I don't know inside of Dorsey's head on this. Um, there's something to be said, and it might be that the Bills have been trying to shift their focus into designing some different combinations of things to get their run game going and to figure out who that second receiver is that they can draw coverage from. And I think that lining digs up primary on, on the left side as an outside receiver has allowed them to um, sort of draw focus because they know what kind of focus he's going to draw. I think it's part of the attention the defense is giving them, him um, is being used as a tactic for the offensive design to try to open something up for other people because they know that they're going to get a safety shaded to one side. I think that some of the production that you've seen from Dawson Knox is the fact that a safety is kind of shading to Diggs' side. So the seam is a little bit more open than it was in the first half of the season. And so, you know, I think that that's why we see Diggs lined up outside so often. And also the fact that the team's trying to get the run game going. Diggs is a great player and a good team member and contributes as best as he can. He is never ever going to be a big block, big time blocking wide receiver in the run game. Like it's just not his skill set. It's not his body type. It's not his, you know, his skill. Um, whereas Gabriel Davis could make a lot of money as a wide receiver too, who's primarily a you know running back block. If he went to the Titans, they would they would pay him money, right? Like because he's a they'd shower him right. with money, yes. <laughs> because he he really gets you know he gets in there and tries to you know bury his his blocking assignment every snap. And so if you're an outside rushing team and you need a wide receiver, Gabe Davis is it. Um, Diggs is not that. And so I think that getting the run game going means that you have Diggs less in the slot, less close to the line. Get him outside. And make him a relief valve on those plays too, especially like the bootlegs and different things that Josh Allen does is he has reliable hands. They don't have a lot of that in this offense right now. And so I, I don't know, you know, why they've changed so much. Um, I'm going to hope, like I always hope, that it's like big brain stuff and that they're just saving his slot snaps and different play designs for the playoffs. Because I think there is something to be said about, we saw it in this Bears game. The Bills were negative two in the turnover differential. A team going negative two in turnovers and winning by plus 22 in the NFL does not happen. Like, just doesn't happen, right? Like, that doesn't happen. Um, who also had the worst starting field position in the game. Um, you know, the, the momentum at different times was not in their favor, but they just, their defense was stifling and they got it done on the ground. And so um, I wonder a little bit too is, you know, what are they holding back? Because they've been playing what they believe to be inferior rosters 
on opposing teams. I think we saw a lot more creative play design in the Miami game than we've seen in other games before or after. True. Um, yeah. And so I think that there, it may be that they have, you know, an, a break glass in case of emergency portion of the playbook. And this, this week against Cincinnati, which is effectively, and we'll, we'll preview this game later in the week, um, which is effectively the first playoff game for the Bills this season. Um, Agreed, yeah. That that game against Cincinnati will be determining, and I, I can't wait to watch, rewatch the game, watch the game first, and then rewatch the game and see what they do because that's going to tell me how much Dorsey is willing to like get out of his comfort zone and try some different things in crunch times. Yeah, I uh, I'm going to be fascinated to see. With the with the game plan is and the the uh, first set of the first set of play scripting is offensively for this Buffalo Bills team, I I mean when they play Cincinnati because I agree with you we have not seen a lot of creativity against some of these substandard rosters. It's almost like the Bills have treated it and and listen maybe they feel like they've got the personnel to do this, but it's almost like they've treated these games as extra preseason games to like work some shit out of the playbook right like and again i that's no shade at the bears they're they're a tough team and they're a tough out and they play with a lot of energy but at the end of the day they were just overmatched in this game and it was the simply the bills won this game because they had the better personnel they didn't always execute better but they had the better set of personnel to make up for a lot of those mistakes where the bills where the bears did not have that same margin for error. So, um, actually I think that's a a good place to, to put a bow here on this, this bears, uh, post game, because I want to talk about, and we've already alluded to this and I just want to get into it a little bit. We've got this a bit of extended break here for the bills. They're not going to play another game for six days, Monday night against Cincinnati. We're going to have a lot of opportunities to preview that game but the Bills did clinch the AFC East uh, as a result of this win. We know that they're guaranteed a playoff spot, so we know they're going to be in the postseason tournament. This feels like, based on the sample size of games we have seen so far, JJ, a really good place to talk about reasons why the Bills will make a Super Bowl run and maybe some of the things that are currently imposed upon this team that could hold them back. So if you're cool with it, I think I want to get into some of that. Will the why the Bills will make a postseason run versus what is going to stop them from realizing their ultimate goal of winning a Super Bowl? How does that sound? Sounds great. Let's do it. All right, let's do that. I've got five. I've got. I'm going to take the the negative column about why the Bills are going to be held back from a Super Bowl run. I've got five in my, my category. So I think it makes sense for you to to take on the why they will, right? Yep. Um, so let's work through our lists and talk about the reasons why they will or why they won't make a deep postseason run here. Um, why don't you go first? Let's let's start with some positivity. <laughs> let's go with you. Okay. What is your no, what is your number five reason why you think the Bills will make a deep postseason run? All right. My number five reason for why the Bills will make a deep postseason run and make it to the to the whole thing, the big game, the Super Bowl, is defensive consistency. I think that, you know, we we as most Bills Mafia can be super critical of Leslie Frazier and Sean McDermott and not changing the way that they play defense based on their matchups. Um, but the defense, I'll say it again, we should get t-shirts made. The defense is the defense, right? Like, um, And the defense being the defense – 
is it's a gift and a curse. The gift is that the Bills, statistically in every measurable way, um, are top of the league in most metrics for defensive consistency and defensive performance, um, with the exception of missed tackles. They're terrible at missed tackles, but this Bears game was uh, statistically a better than average game because they only missed four tackles in the entire thing, and I think three of them were Milano and and Oliver was one. So. Um, they, they did a good job in kind of getting that right against a team that took advantage of missed tackles against almost all their opponents this season. Um, and so the defense is the defense. That's the reason that the Bills will make the postseason is because the scheme is designed to keep games close. And over the past, like two seasons, I think the Bills have won by an average of 13 points and lost by an average of 2.4 points or something like that. So. That's why I think they will make it. And I, you bring up, and I have struggled, and I really struggled last pod, with the game plan against Miami and against teams who you know are going to try to exploit some of the deficiencies in the secondary. But to some extent, dude, you are absolutely right. It's tough to argue with the results. When you look at how all of these playoff teams are lined up right now, so currently if the playoffs were to start today, be Buffalo, KC, Cincinnati, Jacksonville, Miami, Baltimore, and the LA Chargers. The Buffalo Bills are the only team in that list that are top 10 in defensive DVOA in both defense against the run and defense against the pass. They're third against the run per DVOA, and they're seventh against the pass. No other team on that list is in the top 10 in both of those categories. And only two are in the top 10 in one of those categories. So you're absolutely right. The Bills are bringing a con- the most consistent, most well-rounded defense to the table against some of the opponents they're going to be playing in the postseason. Yeah, I couldn't agree with that more. Are we still going, or do you want to flip over and do your uh, fifth, fifth Let- reason for the, why they won't? Let's do mine. Let's do mine. And to be clear, we both want the Bills yeah. to win the Super yeah. Bowl. Like, I mean, no one's, oh no one on this putt is rooting against that, right? I've got a mug We're that says this. just one before I die. Like, yeah, exactly. Right. I just want one, man. Yeah. I just want to hug my daughter. I want to like cry and it, it just like hug my kids and at this this moment I've been waiting forty years for. Yes. Right. Um. So we want this, but we're also like realistic. We, we watch these games and we scrutinize these games more closely than a lot of people do. And it's not just for love of the game. It's because we love the sport. We love the Bills. We love everything about this organization. And sometimes the things you love are also the things that you're just going to be the most critical of. It just yep. is what it is, right? Um, so, so we're going through this exercise is an exercise in realism, not optimism, right? Even though we're both hopeful that the Bills are going to finally secure that chip at the end of the year. So my number five reason for why they won't, limited ball distribution on offense. Now, the stats bear this out, JJ, and we have talked about it on this pod. When the Buffalo Bills distribute the ball to seven or more pass catchers, their rate of win goes up exponentially. And when they're below that magic number of seven, when they on- when they only have six or fewer different pass catchers in a game, they're about a 500 ball club. And the Bills have struggled, as we have seen, with 
accurately and consistently distributing the ball to all of their weapons this year. It took the form earlier in the year, as we talked about, about the massive target share that both Gabe Davis and Stefan Diggs were getting, sometimes at the expense of some of these other pass-catching weapons. Now, as we have seen the Bills try to work some of these other weapons into the fold, like Isaiah McKenzie and like Dawson Knox in the, in the second half of the season reemergence that he has had, it's coming at the expense of some of those other targets. Pre-post-buy, the Bills have only had two games where they have targeted more than more than seven pass catchers and had passes caught by more than seven seven of their personnel. And most recently, that was in the Miami game. And then prior to that, it was in the Green Bay game. It's not, And it's not just the personnel they're distributing to JJ. It's the use of the field. And we've talked, I've talked about this a lot. And it came to bear again in the Chicago game. Only five of Allen's offensive um, throws were in the middle of the field. They are almost exclusively using the boundaries. And the boundaries basically act like a, a an extra defender on a lot of these routes. There is slightly higher risk and slightly lower efficiency when you throw in the middle of the field, particularly deep in the middle of the field. But the success rates can be higher because you have a large, larger margin of error. You can lead your wide receiver by a little bit more in the middle of the field. You have a higher, uh, you have a higher ability for to allow yak to happen. And the Bills have been trying to build yak back into this passing game. But as they limit themselves in their ball distribution to the, almost solely on the boundaries, they've taken away the yak game almost exclusively from the uh, as a consideration of this offense for what opposing defensives need to plan for, but they're also limiting how they can utilize their weapons best. There was a throw in this in this Chicago game that I think I texted you about, and it was a deep shot to Isaiah McKenzie, who was covered by two different defenders, a safety and a cornerback. And I'm like, was Allen really trying to, and it was on the sideline, it was on the boundary. So McKenzie, who is primarily used as like a mid crosser out of the slot, found himself on the boundary and I was like, was Allen really trying to drop that ball to a five, seven target over two defenders? It's just the, the least efficient, the least successful type of ball distribution plan you can have. So it's not just that the bills need to scheme in other guys to catch the ball. They also need to go back to using each third of the field a little bit more equitably. Cause right now, they're basically seeding the middle of the field to the opposing defense. And they're saying, hey, guys, we're going to attack the sidelines. Jam all your coverage in there, right? And I think that's something that is going to limit the Bills moving forward if they can't figure that out. Yeah. Well, and I think that also uh, there's something to be said. I, I don't I don't have the stats in front of me. Um, but I'm willing to bet if Bills, if anybody listening really wants to dig into this, go find go find a game that, Ky, or that um, Reggie Gilliam was targeted in, I bet you find yourself a win. Because if the fullback Absolutely. is getting a target, that means Allen is looking at all his options. And on that particular play you're talking about, that's the one that James Cook chased down Kyler Gordon who made that interception in the end zone. That I mean, that's that was an excellent defensive play. It was a bad ball. It might might have got caught in the wind. It was a bad choice. On that play on all twenty two, he had uh Allen had Quentin Morris underneath. He had a wide open stuff on Diggs in the first second and a half of the play. And then he also had a wide open uh, 
Zach or um Zach Moss, <laughs> a, a wide open James Cook into the in the flare route to the right sideline, and so he had three options that all could have done some yard after catch instead of trying to force the ball to a short receiver over the top. Um, and and granted, when he released the ball, Kyler Gordon was not buzzing that route. He was still in his coverage in the middle of the field. He backed off his coverage assignment and went hunting for the ball. And so it wasn't a throw into double coverage. It was a poor choice of a throw into single coverage that got picked by somebody who made an excellent play. Um, but in general, I agree with you completely that it when Allen is really dealing it, this this team is unstoppable. When he's dealing it and when he's taking what's available underneath, this offense is unstoppable, even with you know some of their, their woes otherwise. Um, so yeah, I, I agree with that completely. Um, we ready to move on to my number four. Yeah, let's hit number four. All right. So my your fourth um, or your fifth fifth reason they won't is lack of ball distribution. My fourth on a top five list of um, why they will make it to the Super Bowl, and I, I love being the positive guy here, um, is the run game chemistry. And I talked about this a little bit of different combinations of their offensive line depth. I think we both have been critical of this offensive line, and I, I think we both agree that they need to invest in it, but that's not happening this season. They have to get what they can get with the, with the group they have. And I very much like that the group they have has been working in different combinations on all the different blocking concepts that they've been using in the run game and getting that experience. The running backs are getting a feel for how these guys are going to block it up. Um, and it's, it's looked good for a couple of players that I've been really down on, particularly Ryan Bates, uh, Roger Saffold, Spencer Brown, have had much, much better run snaps than they have pass blocking snaps. And so I've very much liked, you know, seeing them out in space blocking. Saffold was just kind of flattening people in his in his, you know, in his way the whole game. And so I really like to see that. He had a good game. You know, I gotta throw some laurels at his feet for for having a good run blocking game. Again, struggled occasionally, even against a, a subpar defensive line for the Bears uh, in pass pro, but held up enough and, and had a really nice run blocking game. Yeah, I'm with you. I, this offensive line is what it is in pass protection, and I, we're going to get to that later on in my list. But when it comes to the multiple fronts and multiple schemes they can roll out there in the run game, I, I they're doing a lot of really good work. Granted, some of it is against substandard competition, but they're doing a lot of really, really good work that I think could lay the foundation for some really interesting things to happen in the run game in the postseason, and quite frankly if the weather continue continues to be what it has been over the course of december as we get into january they're going to need that run game to show up against some better teams yep you had uh what's your number so, four so this this actually feeds yours a little bit reason why reason why the buffalo bills might hold themselves back from a super bowl run and i and it kind of feeds into yours because i agree with you i think the, the multiplicity of this Buffalo Bills offensive line and their ability to, to open up holes in the run game has been a pleasant surprise. For everything that they are good at in the run game, they're bad at in the pass protection game, but that's a story for another time. But I think, and we alluded to this earlier, the running back that can make the most out of those opportunities is James Cook, not Devin Singletary. And my number four reason for why the Buffalo Bills will ultimately may ultimately hold themselves back from a Super Bowl run is they're going to continue to stick with motor 
over unleashing James Cook. All right. Now, here's some stats to back this up. Devin Singletary has been the workhorse for this offense for a better part of the season, getting a large majority of the, the share of carries. But his best games have come against far substandard competition. So here are his best games in order of yardage, JJ. Chicago, which happened this weekend, 106 yards. Cleveland, which happens a few weeks ago, 86 yards. KC, 85 yards. Detroit, 72 yards. Green Bay, 67 yards. Those are his top five games, yardage gained in a game. Here are the DVOA rush defense rankings on each of those teams. Chicago, 29th out of 32. Cleveland, 30 out of 32. KC, the only top 20 unit, 17 out of 32. Detroit, 26 out of 32. And then Green Bay, 32 out of 32 in rush defense DVOA. Here's how the rush defense DVOA lines up for playoff teams that the Buffalo Bills have the potential to face. Baltimore, fourth in rush defense DVOA. Miami, ninth. Jacksonville, 12th. Cincinnati, who we're going to see on Monday, 14th. K the aforementioned KC, 17th. The only not top 20 unit in that grouping is the LA Chargers. They're at 28th. Now, on the flip side, here's the pass defense DVOA for these teams. Baltimore ranks 12th. Miami, 25th. Jacksonville, 31st. Cincy, 14th. Again, they're 14th in both categories. KC, 22nd. And then the only top 10 pass defense unit that we see here is the LA Chargers at 9th. The Buffalo Bills are going to have opportunities in the passing game regardless of who they play in the postseason. And as long as the elements and the conditions allow it, they're going to need more production out of the backfield in the passing game. And to me, that gives the nod or should give the nod to Cook in a lot of these situations because he can make more out of what these the offensive line is opening up for him in the run game. And he adds an element to the pass game that is going to take advantage of some of these weaker defenses that they're going to be facing when it comes to the pass defense front. To me, they've been working Cook up to this point. It would be a mistake not to let him take the reins over these last two weeks, see what this dude's really got, and then if he can perform here against Cincinnati and in Week 18 against New England, I think you've got to give him the nod in the postseason because the teams they'll be playing right now are lined up for his skill set to take advantage of their weaknesses in a way that motor can't. And I know you're the, you know, you're playing the the negative Nancy on, on this particular uh, exercise. Um, but I will say uh, to squash your James Cook love. And I also love the guy. Um, he is an inconsistent and less than tenacious pass blocker when he's in the backfield. And so even though I, I agree completely that he offers more in the pass game, he's more explosive in the run game in every, in on every snap. Um, the one the one thing that might hold him off the field, and I, I think to to their peril, the Bills' offensive production peril, is that Devin Singletary is probably a top ten in the league pass protector um, in the backfield in terms of putting himself in harm's way and throwing his body. And you even mentioned it earlier in the in the pod that he is always ready to go. Great. Yes, yeah, to stop a blitz. And so I think that that's that's one thing. But again, it's a small thing that might kind of lend itself to, to adjusting their snaps. 
Are we? No, I yeah. I agree. Yeah, I I agree. I think it's the the rationalization the Bills will use to keep motor yeah. in there despite the fact that their production with cook would be better yeah, yeah. and I, I agree completely i think that if they want to really have a more sizzling offensive approach it's it's cook all the way um so for my number three reason the bills will go all the way to the super bowl is home field advantage and bills mafia what happens oh yes what happens <laughs> next is if the Bills can take care of their business and win these next two games, they are the lock-solid AFC one seed. The playoffs, every playoff game, as long as they stay in the playoffs, will be played in Orchard Park for the Bills. And what you're looking at, if they are the one seed, is that they start um, versus the, the the winner of the lowest-seeded game um, in the wildcard weekend. So they get a week off, and then they play the lowest seeded from the wildcard weekend, and then they play whoever of the higher seeds in their divisional matchup is is left over. And then they're in the Super Bowl. It's two games instead of three. It's no travel. It's Bill's Mafia gets to be loud and proud and impact the game, which we know they will. Um, so I think that that is my number three reason that they will go, is that they will take care of their business because they are, you know, they have been kind of... Uh, run through the ringer, um, and that at the end of this, they'll stand alone as the AFC one seed, and the Bills will host the AFC championship game as long as they make it through the divisional round. That's my my reason they will. All right, so JJ, my number three is the Buffalo, of why the Buffalo Bills may not make a Super Bowl run, is losing the turnover battle. So as we stand right now, the Buffalo Bills are zero, in turnover differential which means they have taken the ball away as much as they have given the ball away the last time the buffalo bills finished minus or even in the turnover differential was all the way back in 2018 the the early years of this buffalo bills rebuild 2019 and 2020 they were plus four last year in 21 they were plus eight this is a this is a marked regression in the Buffalo Bills' ability not just to take care of the ball because I think Josh Allen's turnover issues with both fumbling and red zone interceptions have been well documented this year, but it also feeds into the Buffalo Bills' lack of ability to take the ball away at levels that they had before, particularly when it comes to the production of the secondary, which I'll talk about a little bit later on in the list. But at the end of the day, it's very simple. If you turn the ball over more than you take the ball away and ball security is not a priority for you, particularly in key game situations, you are not going to beat the caliber of teams that you're going to be facing in the postseason. You can get away with that. You can get away with being minus two in the turnover column against a team like the Bears. You cannot get away with that against a team like the Chiefs or a team like the Bengals. So the Bills are going to have to figure out these turnover problems. But quite frankly, JJ, I think a lot of it at this point is sort of baked in. I don't think these turnovers are a bug in the system. I think it's a feature of the system in a lot of ways because it's a team that relies on some of the gunslinging mentality of their elite QB and Josh Allen. And there is a high risk, high reward way to his style of play where he hasn't adjusted appropriately, where we have seen him adjust in the past is in specific game situations, i.e. the red zone. If they can just limit 
some of those turnovers and those key in those key game situations you could see the buffalo bills rectify this turnover issue that they have but right now even though they are even in their turnover differential they're really losing this turnover battle more often than we think and it could cost them some games against quality playoff opponents yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I think that that's something to be mindful of because that is when the Bills' defense is at its best as well is when they are taking it away um, and Josh Allen is protecting it. That That's one of those times when we talk about the Bills being a juggernaut. You know, that's the Rams game early. That's the Titans game early. Um, that's those kinds of things. Um, and I agree with that completely. Uh, why don't you go into your second top of the top five reasons you don't you think the Bills could be limited in making it to the Super Bowl since they're kind of related yeah, it, it's the lack of production that we've seen from the secondary this year. And when I talk about production, I'm talking about two things. I'm talking about turnovers, and I'm talking about um, limiting the opposing team's uh, passers. So, and listen, I got so takey last pod on this team's defensive philosophy. And I think this is a really good time to clarify some of that. Because I was really, I wasn't talking about the defense as a whole, I was really talking about my frustrations with the secondary. Um, in the cover one, guys, they do such a great job of breaking down the Buffalo Bills defensive scheme, player by player, area of the field by area of the field. Like, this is going to be a very poor man's version of this. But when I say the Buffalo Bills play like a soft zone or play like a stubbornly stubborn philosophy, I'm not saying that they're not aggressive. They are aggressive, particularly with their front seven, or when they play nickel, their front six, right? They look to pressure the gaps. Um, the way that they have Oliver, the way that they have Jones, attack the A-gap, that gap between the guard and the center, is huge in helping them get pressure against opposing QBs. When they choose to simulate pressure and bring Milano or Edmonds from their standard depth up through the middle and float the center and have Milano or Edmonds attack the A-gap. That is super aggressive defensive play calling. My issue isn't with the defensive front. When I say that Leslie Frazier's scheme relies on individual guys to make spectacular plays, I'm really talking about the secondary. Because when you have that type of aggressive attacking front, it means that everybody who's in coverage needs to hold up. And sometimes they need to hold up for really long periods of time. And we just haven't seen this Bills secondary going back to last year be able to hold up in the face of that attacking scheme. So what you see is you see Taron Johnson giving up a career-high passer rating to opposing QBs because he's got to hold up in, in coverage longer than he's used to. <clears throat> Trey White, who's struggling to come back from an injury, you've got to see him holding up a, lo a lot longer too. Um, Poyer, who has struggled with injuries, has been the only guy who's consistently turned the ball over um, against the opposing team in this secondary. So it's not just that you got to hold up in coverage, but also if opposing passers are getting the ball out, you have to make spectacular individual plays if you're a DB for the Buffalo Bills, and that just hasn't been happening. As I mentioned earlier on, they've only got four interceptions in the second half of the season post by their last nine games, and they've all come against their NFC North opponents, Green Bay, Detroit, and Chicago, right? <clears throat> Excuse me. They had 10 
prior to that earlier in the season. Now, I know Von Miller being out plays a huge role in this. And I know that means that the Bills need to blitz more as a result of that. And sometimes they're bringing some of these exotic DB blitzes off the edge versus taking guys out of coverage. I get all that. But at the end of the day, the majority of Frazier's scheme is rush with four, aggressively attack the gaps, and allow your back seven to do what they need to do in coverage. And Milano and Edmonds are doing their 111th in coverage. The rest of the secondary, I would say minus Poyer, who is having a really, really good season at this point, the rest of the secondary is really struggling in coverage. And they're struggling in two key areas of production, turning the ball over, which they're not doing right now, and also limiting opposing passers in their efficiency, which they're also not doing. I think as we talk about some of the passing attacks that they could potentially see in the postseason, a Miami squad who we've already seen shred this team at home in Buffalo a couple of weeks ago, the LA Chargers who have Justin Herbert who has a howitzer for an arm, and that offense is finally starting to get healthy. KC, we know what they can do. Cincy, we're going to see what they can do on Monday. The only question mark is Jacksonville, but they've got some really exciting weapons and a guy named Zay Jones, who I think the Buffalo Bills are somewhat familiar with, right? Um, So there are teams that can exploit as long as they can hold up against that attacking front seven and attacking front four that Frazier develops. There are some teams that if they can hold up against that are going to exploit the deficiencies in the secondary And that is one of the reasons why the Buffalo Bills may be held back from their ultimate goal of winning a Super Bowl this year. And to me, that goes back to the 2020 draft, as does some of the deficiencies with the offensive line. Because we all expected in the, and and I think I mean 21 draft, right? The, The draft following the 20 season, right? Where they went Rousseau and Basham back to back. Everyone thought at some point they were going to address the O line and that they were going to address the secondary because they hadn't used premium draft capital on any of those positions since the Trey White draft um, when they drafted him in the first round. And they didn't. They went Rousseau, and then they went Basham in back-to-back rounds with great DBs and great O-line left on the board. And I know that sounds like a shot at Brandon Bean, and I love Brandon Bean, and he is the reason, him and McDermott, why we're here bitching and complaining about a 12-3 and team not being good enough to maybe win the Super Bowl, right? But at the end of the day, it does go back to that draft, and that Basham pick, it looms kind of large because he has underproduced on that line in his first two seasons. And you look at some of the other players that were available on the board at the time, and you wonder if some of these secondary deficiencies and O-line deficiencies could have been addressed had that draft played out differently. You know I'll always uh, take an opportunity to dunk on Brandon Bean for making an error because he doesn't make them ever. Uh, and so the, it was an error to draft Boogie Basham where they did when there were other talented players in both those O-line and, and uh, defensive backfield positions available. Um, especially when you look at something like the fact that Kingsley Jonathan, a practice squad undrafted, got called up for this game and Boogie Basham, was a second-round pick, was inactive was a healthy scratch. Healthy scratch. That's a problem. Yeah. That's that's a complete failure of draft capital. And I and I think that we've seen it throughout the season, too, that Boogie Basham just isn't living up to his draft status now in two years. Um, and I hope he, it clicks for him. But what I see is somebody who's athletically overmatched most of the times in his matchups and uh, 
and otherwise just doesn't have great awareness, doesn't set the edge in the way that he needs to. And, and so um, with that all said, um, to, to bounce back to your, your second reason the Bills may not, which is their secondary defensive secondary production, they are absolutely undefeated when Jordan Poyer is starting. So that's Poyer, Poyer's having an amazing yeah. season. He he is the exception to this. Poyer is having an incredible season. And ironically, he's the guy who probably might not get paid on this defense because they've got to find a way to pay him, Oliver, and Edmonds this year. Yeah. But he is the dude maybe outside of Edmonds who has meant the most in pass coverage to this team this year. Poyer has been incredible. Yeah, he's the exception to this whole thing. All right, so um, I'll hit my second of my top five reasons the Bills will make the Super Bowl, being the positive part um, of, of the pod this, this uh, episode, um, and that is that they are battle-tested. Um, the metrics about you know strength of schedule, strength of victory, all those things would tell you that this team has played one of the hardest schedules. They've lost, um, I'm not sure what the current rate, but the last time I looked, they, they had the third most games lost to injury. Um, they played one of the hardest schedules, third most games lost to inj- injury uh, as of week 14 is the last time I checked it. Uh, and then on top of that, they've had some one of the, they've had the least home games on their schedule of most all teams. If we're counting the Browns game in Detroit as not a home game, I'd consider that kind of a neutral site game. And so they're going to end the season with only seven home games uh, total. And so, and when they're doing as well as they have at home, that, you know, that's something to be said. So um, with that, I think that this team, unlike some other teams that will be entering the field on both the AFC and NFC sides of the ledger, uh, it hasn't been an easy road for them. They haven't skated or coasted to these, these wins. And so um, they've got another one coming up Monday night, probably the game of the year. Um, you know, up there with KC, up there with the Dolphins matchups, and we'll see how it goes. Um, but they're battle tested. Their depth is tested. They have more starter snaps in their in you know their backups than most teams, considering how badly they've been injured. Um, and with that battle tested nature, especially when we're talking injuries, they may be getting Jamison Crowder, and like there's whispers of Micah Hyde making a return for the postseason. Um, he has not ruled it out. Uh, he said he, he'll be out there as soon as he's cleared by doctors, as soon as they let him. That doesn't mean they're going to clear him this year. Um, and he might just be, you know, playing coy. But, I mean, oh, my gosh. Imagine if Poyer and Hyde are back in the safety spots at some point in the postseason and yet another reason to just lock down that one seed so you have an extra week rest before the playoffs kick off for you to try to get some of these players back, particularly Crowder, who I think is – getting closer, and even Brandon Bean and, and uh, Sean McDermott said that they're hopeful um, that he trends in the right direction to get back on the field and get back to practice. So there's a lot of different things coming, but I think that one of the things that might take the Bills all the way to the Super Bowl is they are a gritty, hard-nosed team who's overcome incredible amounts of adversity this year. And uh, I think teams that tend to do that um, usually last a little bit longer in the playoffs. I, I 100% agree, and this is this is something last year that we questioned about this team, their grittiness, their toughness, especially after that Jacksonville loss. Um, no one is questioning that about this squad this year. They had to play three straight road games, lose home games due to weather. They have suffered, like you said, more injuries than uh, more injuries 
only surpassed by Tennessee and Baltimore as the only two other most injured teams in the league. Um, they've just showed a ton of toughness this year, man. They've won close games after not being able to win close games last year. They've won games without having their fastball, without the pass game working, without having their best offensive line line up in there. It, this Buffalo Bills team has found more ways to win, I think, than anyone gave them credit for. We all just assumed that because of the way last season ended, they were going to go 17-0 and blow the doors off everyone. That has not been the case this season, but I will tell you, I have been more impressed with the way these Bills have won, the, won their games this season than I think I was last year, especially at the end of the season when the offense really started cooking. Um, this is a team that is made to win tough, made to win ugly, but can also win in a shootout as well. And if I'm an any opposing team that's going to be running a, running up against a team that is as tested as these Buffalo Bills, it should definitely give me pause. So no, I 100% agree with you. I think that's great. This team is definitely battle-tested and ready for what's to come in the playoffs. So let's hit it, Dan. Your number one reason that they could be held back from a Super Bowl appearance. This one should come as no surprise to anyone who listens to this pod regularly. Offensive line depth. The Mitch Morris injury, he has been heads and tails, their best offensive lineman this year. But he is now on his sixth concussion throughout his career. <clears throat> We're not just talking about Morris and will he be back this season. When you've got six, you're talking about is it time for the player to retire for their own safety? And if Morse is not available at any other point during the course of this season, you've got you've got Greg Van Roten as your starting center. And you go from a guy in Mitch Morse, who is a Pro Bowl, All-Pro, extraordinary, extraordinarily athletic piece to that offensive line, to no shade, but Greg Van Roten, who is like three, three tiers below what Morse is. Very few teams are built to handle losses of that magnitude. Add to the fact that Spencer Brown looks like an absolute bust on that right side, and all the Bills can ultimately do effectively is run block. There are going to be times where they're going to have to give Allen time to throw the ball, conditions allowing, and this is an offensive line that has proven that it can't, and Allen knows that it can't either, even in that Chicago game. That Chicago defensive pass rush, as we talked about, one of the worst in the league is to, in terms of sack production. And in, in our prop bets, we were like over under half a sack because the Bears hadn't sacked anybody since like October. They have eight on the year. And I was like, yeah, they're going to get a sack because this offensive line for the Bills suck. And sure enough, they got a sack on Allen yep. because the offensive line is substandard. We saw it in the 2020, in the 2021 Super Bowl, capping off the 20 season, the, the COVID weird season where it was Tampa Bay against KC. KC rolled out basically their backup offensive line because everybody else on that line was hurt. And we saw Patrick Mahomes, who is one of the best QBs in the league, get limited as a result of poor offensive line play. The same thing is susceptible to a guy like Josh Allen, especially Josh because he gets happy feet in the pocket when he feels the pressure coming or doesn't feel comfortable in the pocket. If this offensive line is beat up or can't perform at even an average level, it's very likely going to hurt the Bills' chances of moving forward in the postseason. Yeah, no, I agree completely. I think that um, 
you know, like you said, if anybody listens to the podcast, you know the problems we have with this offensive line. The number of times we've criticized the uh, Bills front office for not investing premium assets, whether that's uh, top free agency dollars or draft picks in this offensive line, particularly the interior of the offensive line. Um, but I agree com- completely that this is, you know, it's it's big time football in the playoffs. It's not playing against the Chicago Bears front or other teams that are, you know, subpar in the trenches. It's, you know, most teams don't make it to the postseason unless they have um, at least above average offensive and defensive line play. So um, for the Bills to make it there, it would be, it would be very much like the Cincinnati Bengals making it there last year with one of the worst offensive lines in the, in the league. They made it all the way to the Super Bowl based purely on Joe Burrow making chicken salad out of chicken shit most of the time. And so <laughs> we know Josh Allen has that ability, and that, that actually brings me right into my number one and the, and the way yeah. that we're going to wrap the pod. My number one reason that the Bills will go to and will secure a Super Bowl championship, Joshua Patrick Allen, uh, our Lord and Savior, born in a manger in Firebaugh, California, um, you know, 26 <laughs> years ago. Uh, he is the difference. And I think that we saw it with the Dolphins game. We saw it with so many other games that he literally just goes into God mode and takes over the the takes a team on his back when other things aren't working, whether it's running the ball, whether it's making an impossible throw, um, trucking a defender, hurdling a guy. They're undefeated when he hurdles somebody. Like, it's it's Joshua Patrick Allen. I saw an interesting stat on Reddit, uh, Bill's subreddit. Um, not a stat, but it was rather a chart, and it was the wins above replacement. Are you familiar with that statistic? Yeah, war. Yeah, yeah. So, so wins above replacement, W-A-R, um, it's basically it's a baseball stat yeah. too. It's a big baseball yeah. stat. Yeah. So it's analytics big, guys yeah. love war. Yeah. <laughs> because it's basically just an assessment of how good a player or group of players are above the average of the whole league. And replacement level is is what we consider below, you know, average or just below average. And so it's a it's a chart that shows the win percentage of a team based on or or compared to it's the whole team not counting the quarterbacks. WAR. The Buffalo Bills are in like the bottom half of the league in terms of every other player on their roster and their WAR score, but their win probability is massively higher because of Josh Allen. It literally is a chart that shows you that their win the number of wins they have, they shouldn't have gotten with their roster not counting the quarterback. So the quarterback himself, even though wins are not a quarterback stat, the quarterback himself has elevated a less than performing roster to about four wins higher than they should be. And that is that is all I need to know, right? Like, I mean, you know it by watching it, but it's also measured, a trusted analytic form of assessing the value of a team. And the Bills team value overall without Josh Allen is, at, is about, you know, at this juncture, um, you know, like an 8-17. and 17. Yeah, I, you will never get an argument from me that Josh Allen is not the best QB in the league. Because for my money, he is. And I, I know Mahomes is great. Mahomes already has a chip. He already has an MVP. But to me, when you're talking about most valuable player, there are few QBs in the league that could do what Allen does with this assembly of personnel, with this roster, with both 
the pros of this roster and guys like Diggs and guys like Knox, but also the deficiencies in this roster with guys like McKenzie and the offensive line. Josh does a lot with what he's been given. He he can also do a lot on his own because of his raw athleticism. And he adds layers to this offense solely based on his talent level and his ability to execute in key moments. I don't know that there's any team in the league that wants to face Josh Allen when the Bills are trailing with the ball with two minutes to go because he's the freaking Terminator at that point. Um, His situational football, aside from some of the red zone interceptions he's had this season, which have been a, a weird problem for him based on the arc of his career, Aside from that, his situational football mindset is one of the best in the league. And you're never, ever going to get an argument from me that Josh Allen is not the most valuable player on this team and maybe the most valuable QB to their franchise out of anybody else in the league. Yeah, absolutely. No, and, and that's, that is my number one reason. That's, that's why I think they can go, and that's why I'm so happy to be living as a Bills fan in this era of football. Um, after so many years of not having that guy, I think that, you know, we talked about this so many times, but I would have been happy with like a Kirk Cousins, right? Like for so many years would of the you, drought, would you, I, I, <laughs> would you? I, we'd be super critical because we're super critical of, of this team that's as excellently built as it is. Um, but you know, for so many years, so many years of the drought, I would have been happy with that level of you know in in the playoffs most of the seasons than not you know Fair. does some good things usually amongst the top of the league top eight QBs you know you could win with that guy. Um, I would have taken a QB you can win with, and I just want everybody in Bills Mafia, everyone who's a Bills fan, just appreciate that the guy you got is not just a guy you can win with, but rather. One of the guys that sets the tone for the entire league and everybody else wants on their team. One of the guys who, national media, who knows ass all about the actual football being played on the field for most teams that they cover because they have to cover them all so they get no depth at all, will still talk about the Bills in terms of if I'm starting a franchise, I want Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes. You know, like that is... He's in that conversation. That is what we're talking about here with Josh Allen, and that is my number one reason why I think they can go all the way. He is the new standard for QB development in the league. Everyone now looks to year three for QBs to see when they can pop because of Allen's Allen's progression. 100% agree with you, dude. 100% agree. On that, are we ready to uh, button this thing up? Um, I don't think we have anything else to say about the Bears game, and I don't think that we, you know, we're, we're going to have a lot to talk about with the, the Bengals coming up. Um, and, you know, of course, closing out the year with the Patriots, but we'll take it one game at a time like the team does, and uh, we'll hit you again with the, with the, with the um, I'm sorry, the Cincy preview prior to Monday night. Sounds good to me, sir. So... If you are listening, like, share, and subscribe wherever you get your podcast, Google, Spotify, Apple, and JJ, as always, go Bills. Go Bills.